0: Answering your tough financial questions for the past 26 years, it's Allworth's Money Matters with co hosts Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-W-O-R-T-H. Welcome to Allworth's
1: Money Matters. I'm Scott Hanson. I'm Pat McClain. Glad you are with us uh, this
2: weekend. We hope um, you are doing well, both physically, uh, mentally, and emotionally. Um, and financially. And financially. And financially. Yeah. I mean, it is a financial talk show. This is,
1: yeah. Both myself and my co-host here. We're both financial advisors. We used to say we meet with people during the week. Now we have Zoom meetings with people during the week. Come here on the weekends to be your financial advisors on the air and um, talk about what's going on in the markets. And I tell you what, Pat, the stock market has been amazing. Do you realize – I know you realize. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The the market, the stock market anyway, has made up about
2: half of its losses. Yeah. But, Scott, so – uh, I think, think about this, right? The alternatives to the stock market are what? Well, you can do government bonds. Okay. Ten-year treasury, six-tenths, a little bit more than six-tenths of a percent for ten years.
1: You,
2: you can could do, do cash, you can bank CDs. You could do— One percent. You could do real estate,
1: right? Well, that's a great thing. Right. You know, in California, there's a bill. It's, it's interesting um, some of the responses to what's happening here. There's a, uh, in the legislature, a legislator submitted a bill in California that would uh, reduce all residential rentals by 25% for a 12 month period
2: across the board. To what end? So that the person that owns the house actually has to go into foreclosure? <laughs>
1: So I've got a friend who is they, – they, they develop apartment complexes. That's what she does. And she says, our margins are not 25%. So you take away 25% of our revenue. We are now in the red. Yes. How are we supposed to pay our bills?
2: Yes. Yes. It's, uh, so the alternatives – and by the way – um, and by the way, we don't want to be totally negative on this program. We will take some calls. Yes, and and uh, we're going to have Andy Stout, our uh, chief investment officer, on the phone. Uh, for talk a little some bit about of, the economy his, as well. But, but Scott, the, the – uh, And it's going to be a good show. The backside of this, the backside of this is inflation. Perhaps. Not everyone agrees with that. Okay. I think there will be some inflation. That's my belief. Most certainly, Long, more than, way out there. Oh yeah, it's going way to be out yeah, there. it's going to be a. Couple well, you got of, a question? How do
1: we? I mean, there was an article this last week. A headline of the the stimulus is going to increase the federal deficit by one point eight trillion over the next several years. I'm thinking, well, of course, we're already in deficit
2: spending. <laughs> we come up with another two trillion. Where else is it going to come from? Oh, it, it, the PPP ran out of money uh, earlier this week, uh, so all those Businesses that were in line basically closed the door. I
1: have a family member. She applied the first moment she could with Wells Fargo. Uh, supposed to do something online, indication of interest. By the first response she received back from them was like, we are oversubscribed. Sorry, too bad. Talked to a couple other lenders.
2: Um, scrambling around the community banks. Uh, but th- I suspect that they're going to open that window back up. I can't see how they could not uh, and achieve their objective. Yeah, you know, some states have a program where it's a work share program. So it's
1: instead of just un, instead of either you're employed or you're unemployed, there's a work share. So you're, if you're only working fifty percent of the time, there's an like unemployment type insurance that'll make up a, a portion of those other hours, which would make yeah partial employment kind of make the most sense in this yes. period of time.
2: Yes, yes, yes. But from an investment standpoint, I mean, of if if. If this didn't teach us anything, it's that you have to uh, recognize what's in your portfolio, make sure that it's well diversified going in, and then stay the course. If you are well
1: diversified,
2: if you were well diversified t- going in,
1: there's some real the course. pain points. You look at some of these non-traded REITs, real estate investment trusts. Yep, terrible, terrible. I mean, terrible. I don't care what industry you're talking
2: about; there doesn't matter.
1: What if they specialize in hotels? Is business development companies. Master limited partnerships in the oil
2: industry? Yeah. Some of you these... see oil
1: is down to $18 a barrel. There are some saying that oil can actually go negative because the the, the, the storage storage <laughs> units are filling up.
2: I'm not an oil expert and don't mean to be. But not only the storage units, they're using tankers now as storage units because they have no one wants it. So there, there's a thing called diversion in transit where – they fill up a tanker let's say and start sending it across the ocean and it isn't sold yet it's called diversion in transit so the hope is that these brokers get on the phones the computers and they sell the oil by the time it hits close to its final destination well this oil tankers filled with oil going across the ocean and it gets to you know the united states or
3: Mexico, it's wherever going. it's
2: going and they say oh by the way we weren't able to sell it and the it just sits on there it's and that's why it could actually it wouldn't surprise me at all to see oil prices drop significantly more over the short term
1: that's what there's that's that's i mean there was one person predicting a negative price of that's, oil that'd be crazy wouldn't it i don't know i mean i haven't actually calculated the numbers but i have a feeling if you took away the taxes our gasoline's probably cheaper than it's ever been
2: yeah You know, we talked about it last week, Scott. On an
1: inflation-adjusted basis.
2: About the uh, Federal Reserve Treasury going into the bond markets and providing liquidity, which means they were buying bonds, to make sure that uh, the economy, although moving slowly, still moves. Our economy is based on trust. And trust says, I'm going to borrow money from you, and I'm going to pay it back. And when that trust breaks, which is what we saw in the last financial crisis, when that trust breaks, the credit markets freeze. Well, the the government stepped in immediately to make sure that that trust didn't break, which is they were backstopping. But we talked last week about the government actually taking positions in companies, and we saw that this week to some degree, which was the airline bailouts, where they were giving and lending them money, but taking warrants. Yep. Warrants.
1: Which gives them a right to own the stock in the
2: future. Which is— Will they? We don't know. But it is uh, – what you said last week, I'm thinking, can that really happen that the government actually then starts buying up corporations? And we saw it this week. Interesting times.
1: Unprecedented times. And the the, the, the need for proper diversification, for having your dollars allocated so that long-term money is not na- needed in t- for – Five plus years, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. Money that's needed to pay expenses in the short term should not be anywhere where there's um, a lot of volatility. Yeah. And if you found yourself not being very diversified going into this, it's not too late. And if this doesn't show you, you never know what what shock could hit. No. Very few were predicting this. No. Pretty, Pretty interesting. Anyway, if you'd like to be part of our program here at Allworth's Money Matters, and sometimes we have a fun, chipper time when life is fun and chipper. What? <laughs> Actually, um, I must say I've enjoyed some family walks. It's this, uh spring break for my kids, and so we went and did a— we were supposed to be on vacation this week in yes. Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> but we took um, a few-hour walk in the Sierra foothills. Very nice and had— Burgers and milkshakes at some place that was to take out was ate it sitting on the tailgate of the car it was actually, it felt very um, uh, uh,
2: 2019. Did it <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean it's just well, you know, so I to have some sense of I normalcy. Went, I went on a, a, a for me a very long bike ride and I didn't pack enough food. I packed some food, but not enough food. And I was about oh, I don't know, 45 miles and, and I it's called bonking when you run out of energy. And so I'm riding and I'm like, "I need to get something to eat." and the, I'm going to admit it, right here, the only place open was a McDonald's drive-through. So I take my bicycle and go through There are
1: the, gas stations that you can buy um, I guess I could have, but like energy
2: bars or. Yeah, or anything. I Anyway, I went through the McDonald's drive through <laughs> on my bicycle. Are you allowed to do that? No one said anything. <laughs> that's pretty funny. And then I sat. Uh, and what'd you eat? I had a, a Big, Big Mac. That's- I mean, <laughs> it kind of contradicts the bike ride a little bit, doesn't it? Well, I don't know. But, uh, and then I sat. That's uh, funny. I sat on the curb in front of the uh, McDonald's. I felt like I was in junior high again.
1: <laughs> I must say, working, we're all working remotely. And working remotely, I find myself sometimes working at. 4.30 in the morning uh, for several hours and working late at night, and I'll take off a couple hours in the middle of the day because it, it's, it's sure, it doesn't now. really matter. I think we're not the only ones. You think? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, frankly, unless no. you've got meetings during those exact hours. All right. So we're going to talk with uh, – by the way, if you want to join the program, we will take some calls. 833-99-WORTH. We'll get you on All Worth's Money Matters. And we're going to talk with Andy Stout. And if you've been a listener to our program for a while, uh, uh, you understand David Shower is – led our investment committee for a number of years. David is still our chief market strategist. But Allworth we've grown over the years by, well, we have 12,000 clients. A lot of those clients came to us because of uh, various we education used- outreaches we've done over the last 25 years, and people have come, or they're Clients have referred their friends and their family members to us. But we've also grown by having other like-minded firms that have partnered up with us, joined forces with us. Um, One in Cincinnati called Simply Money. We've had a few in the Bay Area, uh, out of Dallas, RAA. And one of the benefits of doing this is sometimes you find some some really great, talented people. And Andy Stout, uh, the chief investment officer for Simply Money for a number of years, uh, has taken over the the role of uh, chief investment officer for Allworth Financial. Uh, he's based out of his Cincinnati office. He's a he's a chartered financial analyst as well as an MBA from University of Cincinnati and uh, father of two kids. Uh, he used to coach baseball and basketball, but he doesn't anymore because he lives in his bedroom, like all of us. Uh, Andy, thanks for uh, taking some time to join our radio program today.
4: Happy to be here, and Pat.
1: So, Andy, uh, as the chief investment officer, uh, we see there's 22 million. Uh, people have filed for unemployment in the last few weeks. Well, I mean, that,
2: so far, that's that, that's uh, that's what the numbers. We don't know how many people have tried and are not are caught up in the system. That's right.
1: That correct. Yes, I've, a lot of those stories. Right. Um, you know, give us kind of your perspective on where things are economically and what this means to to investors.
4: Well, from the Zoff perspective, we have 22 million people, like we said. Uh, uh, filing for unemployment claims, we'll probably see another very large print next week. Um, I guess if you want to talk about some very minor silver linings, the number of weekly jobless claims are coming down, but still, to be clear, at astronomical levels. Uh, when we put it all together, uh, where we're looking at the unemployment rate for the month of April possibly being somewhere around 15%. And it's a pretty pretty high number. Anything that was, anything we've seen a higher uh, during the Great Recession during the uh, 2007 to 2009 period. How high did so it get during the Great seeing, Recession? About 10%. Okay. About 10%. So we're already looking at that. But this, obviously, it's a different beast. And you, we can't use really the same uh, measurement techniques we did during the Great Recession or basically any other period compared to today because we have a, a complete sudden economic stop, right? So we really have to kind of look at things in a different framework. We're taking it into the medical response to the coronavirus. And these are all things you didn't really have to look at before.
1: Yeah, so, uh, we, I mean, <laughs> typically your job as a chief investment officer, you've got your Bloomberg screens and all those things, and you're tracking economic indicators. Um, how useful are those in this environment for you?
4: They're not too useful. Everything right now is basically a spitball estimate. What we have, we had the recession probably start in March. We won't know for sure until the NBER, the National Bureau of Economic Research, they're the the body who officially dates U.S. recession, but they're usually about a year late before saying a recession actually started, so they're really not that helpful. They're only helpful basically in hindsight to do studies on things. Uh, (laughs) But if you look at the data, it didn't turn until we came to stop, and we knew we were basically falling into a recession. I think I emailed you early in March. I don't know how we avoid a recession at this point. And, you know, the data hadn't turned yet, but we knew it was going to turn You turn the economy off. You turn the country off. You make everybody go home. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, it wasn't really uh, – you, you didn't need a CFA or a PhD to figure that one out there. But, yeah, what we're looking at today, you know, it's not your traditional economic – I mean, we're watching the economic data. Don't get me wrong. We are looking at a few things that are more high frequency, but the traditional stuff doesn't matter that much. But we're also watching the buyer stuff. I mean, I didn't think I'd really have to pay attention to how many vaccines are being developed worldwide or what the success rate uh, of the Gilead uh, from Desivir, uh, uh medicine that they uh, released last night as far as like the testing goes. And there is some bigger testing going out, but really following the medical field is a whole new aspect that we absolutely must, must follow.
2: And Andy, when we talk about, let's let's compare the difference between the recession Uh, the U.S. uh, or international uh, equities market or stock markets and the bond markets, because they don't all go hand in hand. And then talk a little bit, if you could, about uh, your feeling with the uh, Fed stepping in and and bringing liquidity to the bond markets, including buying individual issue bonds, uh, both corporate um, and uh, municipal, as well as exchange traded funds in that in that arena.
4: Right. So a couple of things that uh, jump out to me. First, you mentioned stocks, bonds, economy. One thing to remember is that stock market is not the economy. When we look at prior economic contractions or recessions, what you have typically seen is the stock market move about three to four months before the economy does. So the stock market has historically been a pretty good leading indicator. In other words, the stock market will peak about three or four months before the recession starts. That didn't happen this time. This was a little bit more uh, of an external shock to the system. And what it does, though, is when it recovers, it's usually about three or four months before the recession ends. So we saw this back in 2009. The recession ended in June of 2009. The stock market bonded March 9th of 2009. So about three months uh, thereabouts before the stock market recovered. So for those people who are moved to cash, Decided to try to time the market, possibly made a mistake, um, only known in hindsight, of course. If you're waiting for the all-clear signal on the economy, if you're waiting for the all-clear signal from the medical field, guess what? You're going to probably miss out on a, a pretty big rally. I mean, staying the course, like you guys were saying earlier, is so darn important. You know, as far as what the Fed is doing when it comes to the overall economy, you know, you know They have uh, been able to really go from zero to 60 in a, in a snap of your fingers. Uh, the reason they're able to do that this time is because they had a playbook from 2008 to 2009. A lot of people said the Fed was out of ammo a long time ago That's right. uh, when they cut rates to zero. But the Fed has proven they have plenty of ammo as far as that goes. When uh, we're thinking about everything the Fed is doing, you know, right now I probably give them an A-. minus. I mean, they've done actually a really good job. I was not a big fan of Fed Chair Jerome Powell uh, during 2018. I thought he was making quite a few mistakes when they uh, were, were raising rates during that period. They started to unwind that. and They kind of recognized their error. Uh, but now, you know, I, I give the Fed credit. They have done some good things. Now, certainly, there is the possibility, the introduction of moral hazard, right? We're, you know, loaning money or buying bonds directly. They're actually buying – bond funds as well or exchange traded funds more specifically there's some moral hazard there but i think it's important that they do it just from the perspective of that it helps with the overall liquidity helps the bond market trading uh overall when we talk liquidity we're talking about basically being able to buy and sell high quality bonds i mean imagine if you needed to raise money and you go out there and sell a traditionally high quality bond let's just think of a, a high quality like procter and gamble right they're not going anywhere during recession. it might be hard to find a buyer because no one even wants to touch anything So what the Fed is doing is they're essentially creating a buyer of last resort, providing some liquidity and allowing for a a better functioning uh, trading system.
1: And Andy, we've seen uh, Treasury interest rates come down. Basically, as investors are looking for safe havens, they buy into U.S. government bonds because, let's face it, the same people who create the dollars. They just print more. You're pretty much assured they'll pay you back. Um, so, But as that's happened, as investors have fled there, it's pushed up the prices of those, which is, in effect, has pushed down the yield. So now we're at a time when 10-year Treasury bonds are under 1%, about uh, six-tenths of a percent. What's happened to the equivalent on investment-grade bonds? You mentioned, like, practically. So if we look at other AAA-rated bonds with a similar duration, have we seen those interest rates go up? In other words, have investors pulled money out, or have we seen interest rates decline? if investors plowed more money into those?
4: Well, if you look at point-to-point, point, so let's say beginning beginning of the year to today, uh, for example, you've seen the interest rates on those maybe come down a little bit. But where the, the big difference is, is that what we call a spread. I don't want to go too much into the weeds, mm-hmm. but that's basically the difference between uh, different types of bonds and treasury bonds. So it measures the amount of risk in there. What we have really seen is we've seen spreads blow out. I mean, that means they've gotten really wide. So the... Difference on interest rate or the level of interest rates on a corporate bond compared to Treasury, it's a lot higher than normal. Actually, that kind of provides an opportunity if you're a long term investor. Now, certainly, there is the risk of a company going bankrupt. I mean, that can happen at any point in time. There's always risks of the best things. There's obviously no guarantees anywhere. Uh, but historically speaking, when you see that interest rate difference at levels where they're at now, it's been a pretty good buying opportunity when you look out longer term. Now, anything can happen in the short run. Uh, But that's kind of of what we've seen. And we saw in the middle of March, those interest rates were actually spiked up really high because there was a bigger scare surrounding things. And then what we saw is we saw the Fed step in. We saw the the massive fiscal stimulus. We probably need more. Uh, But we see these things, and this quickness of this response has been unprecedented. And this does provide possibly... Uh, an opportunity for long-term investors.
1: and, All right, and, and real quick, you're listening and, to All Worth's Money Matters. We're talking with Andy Stout, our chief investment officer.
2: So Andy, I, I agree with you 100% that if they had not had the playbook from 2008 and 2009, it would probably be a much different... In fact, a lot of the same players, not just the playbook, but a lot of the same, <laughs> same players people, yeah. are actually in government that were in private industry back then. Talk to us about what the moral hazard is because we... You know, we've been doing the radio show for, I don't know, 26, 27 years, and we talked about moral hazard last time when uh, they stepped into back mortgages and then the forgiveness of debt was no longer a taxable event. Talk a little bit about what the moral hazard is. Explain what moral hazard actually means, and then talk about what you see as the moral hazard, which is essentially, I'll explain what moral hazard Moral hazard is the oftentimes the unintended consequences of of. People trying to do the right thing, most certainly government, where they actually create opportunities that are people will take advantage of. That you know, well, high
1: unemployment creates a moral hazard. You get, correct. People nope. make a thousand more than a thousand dollars a week in unemployment. That's a moral. Are hazard. Are they going to
2: go take a busboy job? That's a moral hazard. That's a moral hazard. So, to talk specifically about what you mentioned is the moral hazard.
4: Well, there's a couple ways to look at this. One is just from a big picture, of the moral hazard. Uh, type of uh, situation you could have right now is when you think about a return someone earns on their investments. It needs to be commensurate with the amount of risk you're taking. So if you're earning a high return, there's a high risk of loss. What the government is essentially doing is they're kind of taking away that big risk of loss and essentially almost guaranteeing a return for people who are taking excess amount of risk and who they end up bailing out in many cases, and we saw this probably more in 2008. I'll, I'll, I'll differentiate these the two recessions. 2008, we had some clear villains, right? I mean, it was a lot of Wall Street. There's not really a villain on this recession. I mean, if you want to blame a virus, that's fine, but it's not really something that people can, you know, physically, uh, you know, touch and blame and point a finger at. Say this person created, you know, the problems we're in today. So, but what you're seeing is we're bailing out these companies uh, that are were maybe taking on a little bit too much risk and really just encouraging them to keep taking on more and more risk which could eventually result in some sort of a trickle down effect which wipes out you know a bigger uh, amount of assets because people aren't being i'll say appropriately punished for taking on the a certain level of risk so we're encouraging too much risk
2: so they're minimizing the risk premium in an investment uh Essentially, so Yeah, and
4: they're also keeping alive companies. The other way – I mentioned there was two ways. They're essentially keeping alive what you could call a zombie company. So maybe a company should fail under a normal situation, and quite frankly, it might be better overall because it would create room for new companies or new industries to take root. But if you have these zombie companies staying alive, it doesn't create room for new growth. Think of like – one analogy for a recession is like a forest fire get rid of all the dead, overgrown, dying trees, and it creates room for new growth, new seedlings to sprout up. By keeping these trees alive, we're essentially bringing in some expert arborists, uh, keeping the trees alive, and we're not allowing for that new growth.
2: Andy, that is one of the best analogies I have ever heard about the positive things in a recession. <laughs>
4: Find the silver lining somewhere. Well, and
1: people that's tend true, to be, but it's true though. If you look at innovation that comes out of times like this, that's right, it's tremendous. And yeah. there'll be new industries created as a result.
2: There'll this. be new ways of operating businesses. There will be, there will be good that'll come from this, there'll be no question. New lanes that are created that no one ever thought of, and uh, the circumstances surrounding all of us causes us all to think a little bit differently, yeah. And so,
1: there'll be a lot of collateral damage as well. They're absolutely.
2: Both. So Andy, as always, thanks for being part of the Allworth team. We uh, we appreciate your insight. Um, I could, quite frankly, I don't know how the listeners feel about this, but I could actually listen to them for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> I find it. I find every conversation with them I find fascinating. Um, so I hope the listeners feel the same. Yeah. And in fact, if you do and you like this, uh, and you get the podcast, or you don't get the podcast. Subscribe to it. Maybe make a comment about Andy, and then and, uh, share it with a friend.
1: Yeah. So, Andy, thanks uh, for being uh, on the program today, and um, good luck. How old are your your kids at home?
4: Uh, Twelve and thirteen. In like you, Scott, you know, I've been trying to you know make the best of the situation. <laughs> We've been going out on walks and just visiting the neighborhood, and you know, there probably won't be another time where I'll be able to spend as much time with my kids as possible, and they still kind of like me. this uh, age. Right. So uh, yeah, there's, well, there's, there's a silver lining
1: there. All right. Well, appreciate you taking some time, man. You're listening to Allworth's Money Matters. We'll be right back.
0: Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to All Worth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. I'm Pat McLean,
1: And if you want to join the program, our, and we'll we'll take some calls.
2: Uh, our Eight, contact number is yes. 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-999-6784. So, You'd yeah. like to join the show if you have a question or comment or concern.
1: Yeah. And let's uh, grab a call right now. We're talking with Florence. Florence, you're with All Worth's Money Matters.
5: Uh, Yes, good afternoon, and thanks for taking my call. Thank you. I have a question concerning the required minimum distribution from one of my accounts with the balance as of December the 31st, 2019. In regard to the CARES Act, can I suspend that required minimum distribution that I would normally receive in December of 2020? Yes. You know, in previous years, I've had to take it because I'm over 70 and a half, Mm -hmm. and Now I was wondering if I could suspend that for you know you know getting it this year in 2020. Yes,
1: you You don't need to take it this year. You 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 don't need need to take it. Skip the year.
2: Now, in saying that, you may want to consider a Roth conversion uh, in light of. your total financial picture. So I can tell you here at Allworth, we had many, many clients that were taking required minimum distributions. And for the rest of the listeners, a required minimum distribution is money out of a qualified account over the age of 70 and a half or 72, depending upon when you started the distributions. It is a percentage that has to be distributed by law. If you don't distribute it, there are onerous penalties. So part of the CARES Act, Um, was that the suspension of required minimum distributions. In fact, Scott and I talked about it last week or the week before about how what a silly, silly thing uh, it was that uh, they would even bother with this because it affects probably one-half, one-quarter of 1% of the population. Uh, Because most, quite frankly, those people that don't need the money are actually the ones that are going to suspend it. They're the ones that are able to actually live without the money. Um, So what we've been looking at with our clients is it makes sense to actually do a Roth conversion uh, into a Roth IRA from your other IRAs uh, because the fact that they suspended the required minimum distribution. So I would suggest you actually go through and do the math there. Um, Your tax preparer accountant or a good financial advisor could walk you through that.
5: Oh, okay. So
2: what is your approximate? What's the approximate family income? Now, oh,
5: mine. I mean, I have a pension and social security.
2: So, is it fifty thousand, eighty thousand, hundred thousand?
5: No, I mean, it's probably fifty.
2: Okay, and how much is in your IRA approximately?
5: Oh, there's probably, I don't know, three hundred thousand maybe. And how old are you? I'm 73, I'll be 74 this year. Are you married? No.
2: You, you
1: should, may or you, you should at least look run the numbers because the way the tax code works it's it's this it's, think of it think about like stair steps, uh, it's not this gradual increase in tax rates but it's a stair step. So some of your income's taxed at has no 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 tax at all because we've got um, our standard deduction. So if some income's not taxed at all, then then a little bit at ten percent, then quite a bit at twelve percent. We're talking federal here, and then it jumps from twelve percent to twenty two percent.
2: It's this it's an extra ten percentage points this the step up and that so, means on your on the next dollar it's marginal
1: yes the next dollar you've got coming in so that's why there's such a great planning opportunity prior to age 70 and a half or was 70 and a half now it's 72 for individuals and now with the cares act it's been suspended it creates a, a tremendous opportunity for those that w- that were forced to take distributions even though they didn't want to spend the money uh, to look at roth conversions so this is a good good year to be looking yeah at. it's a
2: it's a great planning technique and this is you know this Changes in legislation oftentimes uh, provide great planning opportunities for uh, clients. Yeah, appreciate the
1: call, Florence. And it's interesting. So I think we joked a couple weeks ago about uh, maybe it was last week, the week before. Yeah, we can't remember. You said you said some of the fact that there must have been some senator that that you're like, why in the world in the CARES Act are they suspending required minimum distribution because you you're happy for the clients that don't want to take the
2: decision. But I can't I just couldn't imagine them actually spending any time talking about
1: it. Yeah, and it was uh there was and so we joked uh, there must have been a, a senator that was uh, and sure enough the it was introduced by Senator Edward Markey Markley Markey I forget his last name. Um he's been involved in the financial services. So uh, uh of things one for years. of he's one,
2: 73. One of our advisors who I hope they all listen to the radio show, but one of the advisors that listens to the radio show went in and did some research. Yeah, Barbara Healy did. Barbara sure. Healy did and sent it back to us and said, yeah, you were right on this one and gave us the name of the senator. Yeah, which that's, is that's, just, a, that's hilarious. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful, Scott. It's not. It's awful. It truly is. Come on. There's people out there losing jobs and you're worried about taking a required minimum distribution Well, if you yourself? realize
1: you don't have to sell your securities, you can take, if you've got stock in there, you can have the stock sent directly to you. It's not like you're forced to sell it
2: yeah it just it 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 just it, it for me it was just look, you're a public servant, you ran for a office to serve others, not yourself, even in the spirit of sacrifice, we're
1: all doing our part in this whole uh epidemic
2: yeah yes yeah and then the politicians that were trading on this information that they had before it came public too that if they're if they're reelected. Um, at a minimum, if they're reelected, there's something wrong with with America. Truly. I don't care whether you're right or left, Democrat, centrist. I don't care. Well, some
1: of it, before you throw them all under the bus for making trades prior to this, I think some are just – it's easy to say, oh, they sold these companies, but they also might have bought some other – it might have just been a rebalance in their portfolio or their money manager thought was buying some different stocks. Maybe I'm just angry. (laughs) (laughs) But here's what's interesting about required minimum distribution. So if you've you've been a good saver and you find yourself maybe at age 60 or 65 or you're above age 72 and uh, you can suspend your required minimum distributions, in other words, if you've ended up saving more in your retirement accounts than you actually need for your retirement, not want, I'm just saying absolutely need, which means that you're taking distributions that you'd rather not pay. Here's how these work, and here's why they need to be paid attention to. Under current rules— I don't know if you think tax rate taxes are going to go up or down in the
2: future. I know what I think. I think that uh, for high-income earners, it is most certainly – the probability of it yeah. going up is high. So here's how these uh, rules work. When you, at age 72, when we've got
1: to start taking our required minimum, minimum distributions, we have to take out about 1 25th of our account balance, which is about 4%. Okay, So it's not that big of a deal when we're 72 At age 80, it's about one-eighteenth. So it's a little more than 5% at age 80. Age 90, it's one-eleventh. So about 10%, almost 10% of your account balance you need to start taking out. So if you think about this, let's say you've got a million dollars in your retirement account. Let's say you've got a million dollars at age 60. And you like, take the required. Or maybe you don't, maybe you don't even, you're not taking any income on it because you've got other income. Age 70, now it's, let's call it $2 million. A required minimum distribution, age 72, is $80,000. Which is why. And presumably at 4%, if you assume you're going to earn more than 4% long term, now we're going to have, that's going to continue to grow. Now you're age 80, we're taking out more than 5%. You make it to 90, now it's more than 10%. So, now it could have a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. So
2: the planning...
1: And if you think, well, maybe I'm not going to live till 90, then you got to think, well, what are the, what's the tax rate your heirs are in? Are they higher, lower? By the way, the, the table goes to 115 years old. There's nothing listed above that. But at that, it's a little more than 50% of your account balance has to come out. At
2: 115?
1: At 115. That's some planning.
2: Um, So that's why there's great planning opportunities before age 72 when the required minimum distribution kicks in. Prior to the Roth, back in the old days, uh, when we did this prior to the Roth, we would actually have clients take the money out, pay the taxes on it, and put it in tax-efficient portfolios. Now, it's easier because you have this Roth option – uh, it's easier to manage the money inside of a oh, Roth be- than it is the tax efficient portfolio. There's no limits to the amount of money that you can transfer from a regular hey, IRA to a saying, Roth IRA. We're not saying we're not saying
1: blanket. You need to you, everyone should do a Roth conversion because it doesn't always make sense. You've got state income taxes when you do the conversion. If you live move, leaving that state, it might not make sense. Uh, well, how
2: your health is, what your the tax rates of your heirs uh, looks like, but but I would th- argue the planning may be more important now than ever. Yes. Especially if if you have if your asset base is down, you essentially are going to be able to transfer Convert at, more. E- even more of the same asset That's into right. something else. Yeah.
1: So all right, to join All Worth's Money Matters with Scott Hansen and Pat McLean, our contact number to call us is one eight three three ninety-nine worth. Again, toll free it's eight three three. 99 worth we're talking with rich richard with Allworth worth money matters
3: yeah thanks for taking my call yeah our pleasure yeah i just had a an allocation question and it was uh, perfect right now we're allocated my wife and i were, we're allocated 45 percent in the stocks and uh 55 in bonds and cash how old are you 66 we're both 66 my wife's been retired for four years and uh i'm planning on working uh, till I'm seventy. Okay. I enjoy what I'm doing, and uh, I'm still having fun, so I'm going to continue to work.
1: Are you working remotely right now, or do you have a job that you can Both. get out? Both. Oh, that's a nice. That's a nice mix. Yeah, it's funny. I was looking at the UPS guy, and I was kind of envying his job this week. <laughs> he gets to get out and yeah. see people all day. <laughs> so, what's your, what's your question for us, Rich?
3: Well, what I was thinking. The stock allocation is basically 85% in the total stock market. It's in the ETF, Vanguard ETF. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking is, uh, if something's going to go wrong, uh, it's going to be with the small, small and mid, mid caps, micro caps. Mm -hmm. They've already gotten hammered. I know. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're still down, but, uh, I was just wondering going forward. I was thinking maybe reallocating into the the into the 500 index instead of the total stock. What's market.
2: the what's the 15 uh, other 15 percent of the equities in? Is it in international?
3: Yes. Okay. The Vanguard Global.
2: Okay, which is partially U.S. By the way, it's a global. Yes. Um, yes. So it's this is funny. I had this I had this discussion with a, a relative of mine, which is by the way, uh, you know. My relatives get free financial advice, and sometimes um,
1: they take it. And sometimes they don't. Is that what you're yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I charge them for it, they'd listen better. Um, this is a tough call. I, I wouldn't do it wholesale if I were to do it at all. Which, I, means, I, I, but I, I think the damage has probably I been do done. Too. So here's, he's, he's done. So here's—he's already done something. The damage
1: is done. I'm looking at this is a chart from the. Uh, this is actually it was, it was a one week old. So actually. Uh, I think small caps had a pretty good week this last week. Uh, So at the end of last week, we look at kind of the blend of – if we look at large cap stocks as a whole, they were down about 13% year to date. Growth was down 8.5% and value was down 18%. Which is strange. Mm -hmm. Which is strange because usually value companies tend to do better during times like this than growth companies.
2: And the it's, reason they were down is because there was a great thought that some of the dividends would be cut and value companies have a tendency to pay higher dividends than growth companies. So, so
1: the large caps down about 13 percent, mid caps down 22 percent, small caps down roughly 27 percent. But still highly – if you looked at small cap value, the worst performer down 31 percent – so the damage that, is probably done. And if you look at other periods of time when small cap value have gotten crushed like this, they tend to ha- the next five years they tend to be the top performers.
3: Yeah, they come back faster. Yes. Yeah.
1: So I, I, uh, I mean, if you look at your your total stock market, uh, it's seventy five percent of it is already in the S and P five hundred.
3: And
2: correct. you're not taking any income from this. No. And when do you plan on taking? Uh, well, he's income.
1: not going to retire for another four years. And, and then more than a half of portfolio, years after that, more than half the
2: portfolio. Yeah, I
1: wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If anything, you make the argument you could take more, have more in small cap. Yeah, I wouldn't. Cap. I would. Not
2: wouldn't, that I'm necessarily say to do that today. I I wouldn't make this change.
3: Yeah, right now the portfolio is down like six and a half percent. You're golden. We're not losing any sleep.
1: You're golden. Yeah, you're not taking you're not taking any any distributions out of it right I, now by I, I presuming no. you're still saving, adding money to it.
2: I would make I'd make the argument that yeah, you man, should actually. That. I would make the argument that you should actually increase that uh, exposure in the total market hmm. to fifty percent or fifty five percent. You've got long, long runway.
1: Right? Oh, statistically speaking, there's no question about it. There's never been a fifteen year period. It, had you bought December twenty nine, uh, what year was the Black Monday in – Black Friday whatever it was in 1929 October had you bought on the top of the market right before the great recession great depression, depression excuse me uh, 15 years out you would have more than recovered all your stock investment and you would have had a higher return than right. bonds. so if you look at the right. worst period in recorded u.s history if we take a longer term time longer time frame, stocks have outperformed bonds so from a statistical standpoint from a probability standpoint, one would could certainly make the argument of having more inequities. The reason you would not have more inequities, is just comes to the sleep factor. And so you can. Right. Right. So you're comfortable with life. I mean,
3: uh, I mean, that, yeah, we're comfortable now. with. OK, uh, with
2: well, the then you, sh- you shouldn't shouldn't change a thing. Uh, but I would, well, I would I
3: wasn't going to change the uh, stock. Allocation. Yeah, but I wouldn't
2: I wouldn't I wouldn't move out. Yeah, I wouldn't move. I, would I wouldn't move out of the total market. So for the rest of the listeners, uh, what Rich is asking is the difference between the S&P 500, which is large cap, versus the total market, which actually has mid-cap stocks. And when I say cap capitalization and small capitalization stocks, which is just the total value of those companies in those indexes. Um, the, the small companies have a better long-term rate of return historically, but there's more volatility on day-to-day, which is, explains risk premium, Right. What's the difference between right. the two? It's a risk premium. Um, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with it now. In fact, I don't think I'd mess with it ever. Okay. The only thing
1: you'd want to do is just make sure you rebalance periodically. So if you want to keep 45% in equities, what that Whoa. means is both on the upside, when things are looking rosy, you sell some. And when on the downside, when things look horrible, you buy some.
2: So let's, uh, so Rich, thanks for the call, and Scott, let's t- talk a, a little bit about when we rebalanced our portfolios. For the, uh, did we talk about this last week? Uh,
1: we've talked about it before, but uh, it was it was um, uh, February 20th, which is the day after the top of the market. We, not all the
2: portfolios got rebalanced, but we looked at them, and many of them uh, made sense for us to rebalance it's, the portfolios.
1: It wasn't it wasn't a subjective made sense. It was the fact what. It's a, the disciplined approach of having allocations and having some, some certain tolerance around that. So if one particular investment grows in value so much, now it becomes a higher percentage of your portfolio. It's kind of it's an automatic trigger saying, wait a minute, we have now this is too big a piece of a portfolio, which which essentially says we're taking more risk in the portfolio than we need to be taking, And by that rebalance, it'll sell off a portion of those that top performer. And conversely, when it rebalances, it looks at what area has what areas been an underperformer that's cheap right now that we can buy into.
2: And we did it on February 20th. And then another time in the last month when in things were March, when were it down. went exactly the opposite. It was the fastest time we'd ever done a rebalances back-to-back. That's to back. correct, because it was such a quick <laughs> downturn. But here's the challenge for investors right now. If we look at returns,
1: so large-cap growth companies, and a lot of these are our tech companies— Through the end of a week ago, I'm just looking at the numbers haven't the numbers have changed a little bit. The the overall differences between large and small have not changed much. So they were down about eight percent. Small cap value down 31%. So what that here's the the challenge from investors is if you go and look at your, let's say you have mutual funds, maybe you have some indexes. Even if you have the indexes, you're gonna what ends up happening, this is human nature oftentimes. Look at the portfolio and say, well, what's not doing well? Oh, my gosh, look how poorly this is doing. Maybe I better get out of this thing that's doing so poorly. You look at your 401K and it shows you the returns. Like, oh, my gosh, this thing hasn't done well at all. I better get rid of this and buy something that's performing well. You
2: use the word doing. That's what people look at it. That's how they view it. It's doing. It's not doing anything. It did. The mere fact that you can measure it means it already occurred. It did. I can measure my speed in
1: my automobile
2: and in the, in the, as I am going down the freeway. You don't know how fast you are going in front of you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it just That's gives you that point. a moment in time. Fair enough, right? Fair enough. <laughs> right? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> you slam on your pretty brake. good indicator though on a well, car. No, no, there is a of car. <laughs> okay, well let's not let's listen. We're we're moving into analogies that don't make any sense. But the reality is, when you measure it, it means you it did, and the natural response is to actually think that something is going well is going to continue to go well forever, and something that's po- going poorly will continue to go, well f- or go poorly forever. And we know neither of those things are normally true.
1: If I were a betting man, and I'm not much of a betting man, but if I were a betting man, I would say five years from now, the top performer is going to be small cap value. Maybe well, he- emerging markets, I'm not sure. History leads us to that. History tells us that. Well, if you look over, like, say, the last 20 or 30 years and you look at, if you, if you put a chart together of all these different, you kind of break investments down into little different categories and, and try to look at what's done best in periods of time, you can tell that there's not really any sort of pattern that emerges. But the, what, what, well, the one thing that does emerge is those things that tend to be out of favor, the longer they're out of favor and the more they're out of favor, it tends to be that the subsequent years, the, the better performers they tend to be
2: which is when you're managing your portfolio, try not to react to it emotionally. So
1: here's why it's so challenging to be an investor. Mainly because we're human, right? So this was a... Uh, and if you've ever read any behavioral finance books, they, I find them quite fascinating because it, it, our, our own human nature is, the, is our biggest danger. It's not the coronavirus, COVID-19, it's not subprime mortgages. It's not 9 11. Our biggest danger is ourselves because the economy has always recovered and come on, has grown beyond that. And I have a feeling that 50 years from now, our economy will be much stronger than it is today. But this was, a, this was a, um, introduced by Nobel laureate Paul Samuelson, an economist. Here's the deal. <clears throat> so here's the, here's the option for you, Pat. I'm going to flip a coin. If it lands on heads, you'll win $200. But if it lands on tails, you lose $100. Right? So I'm going to mm-hmm. flip a coin. Heads, you win $200. Tails, you lose $100. Now think about this, If you're uh, those of you listening. Right? I'm going to flip a coin. Heads, you get $200. Tails, you lose $100. Do you accept the bet? Uh, you
2: could. Now, I haven't read the study. You could, but it, it, the it, the net the net is zero. No, because you start with nothing. Understand. Do you end with nothing? You mean
1: if you play long enough? Yes. No, how do you figure? You win $200 on heads and you lose $100 on tails. You're up 100 bucks. You play long enough, you're going to keep winning. winning okay, win, okay, win.
2: okay, okay. All right.
1: So do I accept Maybe it? Maybe that's why people don't answer the question, right? Because <laughs> if you didn't get it off the bat... Do, do I, heads, do, you get two hundred bucks. Tails, tails, you lose one hundred. You lose one hundred. Oh,
2: so you're at the end of the day, you're going to win a on average. $100. You'd be a fool not yeah, to you take accept the bet. bet. You accept of the course. bet, of course. Yes.
1: Well, uh, most people reject the gamble. About two thirds of people reject the gamble.
2: Well, the chances of it landing heads or tails is always fifty. That's 50. correct. Never changes. Never changes.
0: But
1: what happens is that people tend the, the pleasure of making money is not as great as the loss that people feel when they lose money. The emotions behind losing money are much more painful than the emotions of, of winning money. So
2: what percentage of the people did not yeah, accept that? Yeah, I didn't
1: say exactly this, but it's
2: Yeah, of course that's it's human nature. The desire for I mean a,
1: a rational person would say well, of course I'll take that bet. I'm gonna make 200. If, 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 if I have a 50% I, chance of making 200 and a 50% chance of losing 100. Then I'm up. Particularly if you
2: can do that bet every day. So the, 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 the desire for pleasure is not as strong as the avoidance yeah. of pain. Secondly, people tend to be very
1: short term focused. We're seeing right now short term focused. And they found that, this according to this study we're looking at here, the more often one checks their portfolio, their performance, the more likely they have short-term focus and the less uh, return they receive long-term.
2: So I'm not advocating people do this, but I spoke with a client. They've been clients for 20-some-odd years, and um, I spoke to them uh, earlier in the week, and they said they had not looked at their statement in two months um, and that uh, they only went online and looked at their statement In light of, they knew they were going to have a conversation with me. And I said to them, what did you think? And they said, we were absolutely delighted. Oh, they thought it was going to be much worse. They thought it was going to be much worse. And I asked them, why didn't you uh, look at your statements? And they said, we didn't want to worry about it. We know in the long term it will be okay. And I thought, they are managing their own investor psychology. They were managing it themselves. I don't advocate that you ignore your statements no, altogether. that's correct. Um, but if it helps you to manage your own investor psychology, go have an advisor do a risk profile on it, on your portfolio. There's yeah, to tools. make sure it's
1: the right kind of allocation for you.
2: Correct. There's tools out there that will give you probabilities of success
1: over yeah, periods of time. Yeah, don't put in your head in the sand and ignoring it. Your Your clients chose not to look at it because they had hired you and they knew that –
2: yeah, and we, we've had a 20-plus year yeah.
1: relationship, and they're like— So they had confidence in you and yeah. knew that there wasn't their responsibility. That, if you don't have an advisor, it is your responsibility. That's right. And if you haven't had an advisor you've had a long time, that you've got a lot of trust there. It's your responsibility as well. Uh, before we leave here, a couple of things I want to let you know of. On our website, Allworth Financial, we've created some new resources. Uh, we've created a lot of educational resources in the last month to try to help uh, everybody essentially during this time. So uh, one of these is Unexpected Employment Change. It's a resource for those that have been laid off, furloughed, or forced into early retirement. And there's some practical steps you can do there. And there's another one for a Disrupted Retirement Plan. It's for those that have had their uh, retirement derailed due to the market turbulence. So there's a couple great resources that you can get there. And if you don't receive our weekly email, I'd encourage you to do so. Sign up for that. Uh, we also we do a we've been doing our money matters brief. It's a eight to 10 minute video that we've been doing via Zoom out of our home offices uh, uh, midweek to talk about some of the issues that are going on in the, in the economy, in the marketplace. So we think you might find those valuable. Uh, again, that's at allworthfinancial.com. If you enjoyed these podcasts, we always appreciate it if you give us a review, uh, wherever you're reviewing that. And um, if you think you've got someone in your life that would benefit from this, then please forward it on as well. We are out of time, so we hope you have a wonderful week, weekend,
0: and we'll see you next week. This has been All Worth Money Matters.